positive rotation. Ignition. Welcome to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast of the Illinois Air National Guard at Scott Air Force Base. I'm your host, Master Sergeant Brian Ellison, the Roll Call podcast focused on people, mission, and community. Coming up on the podcast, our guest is Major Matt Boyce, the commander of the Civil Engineer Squadron. He keeps us, uh, or he gives us a deep understanding of the squadron, how it works, all that they do in the wing, and we find out some surprising things that his troops uh, have to do before they deploy and uh, while they are setting up uh, bases. Kids on Guard is uh, this coming Summer, that's Kids on Guards 2023. It is June 28th. Kids of the 126th will be able to experience an age-friendly adaptation of the military, and registration is going on now. I'll have a link in the description. Once you have registered your child for uh, Kids on Guard, June 28th, you will get a confirmation email. Registration for Kids on Guard closes on June 6th. 126th Military and Family Readiness is still looking for volunteers for Kids on Guard. You can email them, uh, Military and Family Readiness, at 126arw.afr.mailbox at us.af.mil. You can also email Travis and Keeley at that address to get signed up for the Military and Family Readiness newsletter. They send out all sorts of useful information like employment resources, uh, financial resources. I was just looking at it today. There are a lot of information. There's a lot of information, uh, more than 15 links that uh, can help you look for a new job. Coming up in this week's Around the Air Force, the Air Force uh, Secretary uh, asked commanders to establish a positive culture, and MedX is coming to medical treatment facilities. I'm Staff Sergeant Antoine McClinton. I am an electrical system craftsman in the 126 Silver Engineering Squad. Official opportunities that we have to learn different skills outside of our own respective crafts. Um, Pretty much any and everything in CE, we all have a hand to do with. So when we do our um, DFTs, TDYs, we're helping out different shops, um, getting our hands dirty, doing what we can. Specifically, something that has been done pretty much any time we go uh, any place for our TDYs, DFTs, uh, help hang up drywall, help the plumbers do what they need to do, HVAC. Uh, we all have a hand in everything that's going on. It's important for all of us to know what's going on because we kind of work hand in hand. Uh, once one guy's done with a job, the next guy may come in and do what he needs to do. So if I know what the next person's doing, I can try to set him up as best as I can. 126th Civil Engineer Squadron Major Matt Boyce joins us in uh, the studio on the podcast, sir. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. No problems. So I I know this is kind of a vast question mm -hmm. to ask, but what is the mission of uh, the civil engineers? I, I guess, I don't know if people really have thought about, I guess what they do think about is the maybe... Uh, emergency management and mm -hmm. things like that. But there's more to the to, sure. uh, civil engineers. Yeah, so uh, civil engineers, a lot of people don't understand what they do because we're kind of everywhere, right? So um, we have 12 different AFSCs. We 
with us here at the 126, we have nine of those AFSCs. Three of them we don't have, which is EOD and fire and pest management because we're co-located with active duty. So they kind of handle some of that, some of those things. <clears throat> um, but we, we do a lot of different things. You know, we, we, there's nothing really in the wing that we don't touch, you know, if, whether it's the airfield, whether it's the fuel system that delivers the fuel to the planes, whether it's every building that's, that's in the, the wing that people do their missions out of. Uh, we're, we're involved one way or the other in each of those. So um, CE's mission as a whole is, uh, you know, the company, the company line is that uh, we basically establish, operate, and maintain bases, uh, both in garrison and in contingency operations. So whether it's here CONUS or, you know, OCONUS or whatever, or in expeditionary roles where we're literally creating a base out of nowhere. Um, so we kind of just make sure that those things are operating as they should so that everybody else can really do their job, um, whether that's support roles, uh, maintenance uh, operations, or any of those people. So. so you guys are one of the first people to go if there was anything that needed to be done. You guys are kind of first on the ground. Yeah, so we are, uh, we're kind of augmentees to security forces in terms of uh, uh, securing and force protection for the base if we're in an austere location. So we shoot a lot more often than uh, other people. So we, we, uh, we used to shoot every six months. Um, so they, they give us that requirement as well. But uh, so yeah, there's, there's a, a, a force element for us, a requirement for us that we actually uh, establish the base. So there are um, deployment taskings that we get where we go out in the middle of nowhere and uh, uh, usually go with a, some type of security role that will kind of provide us uh, security and we will establish a base. Um, a lot of stuff of what our officers do is planning for that, right? So we'll, we'll uh, get on uh, GIS or geo base and basically look at aerials and, and plot out where the tents go, where your sewer is going to go, where, you know, um, where your defects going to go, where your latrines are going to go, because all that has to be downwind, right, of, right. of, sure. of where you are. So um, a lot of that planning goes into play, and, and we have a big say in getting everybody prepped to do their mission. Have you had to do that before? Have you had to build a, kind of a, a yeah, base? So my, my last deployment uh, in 2020 was part of what's called the ECAG, which is Expeditionary Civil Engineer Group. So basically we were hired contractors for AFSENT. Um, and when I say contractors, we're all military. But uh, So anywhere a wing commander needed something to be done throughout CENTCOM, uh, they hired us as uh, hired us, right? They tasked us uh, to do to do the mission. So we had a, a bed down that we had to do um, for about 3,800 Marines, um, and we had to uh, basically fill in a, a giant hole that was given to us by the Saudis, uh, and uh, that took like three months just to fill the hole to level it, and then we had to pour concrete pads to put tents on and we had to you know plan where the latrines just like what i was talking right. about right all that stuff um and then the marines were bringing in am2 matting which is this fiberglass matting that basically creates a temporary uh airfield and they were having that shipped from the states um all this stuff happened and uh the 
the funny part is, is that the Marines never showed up. So they, <laughs> <laughs> that's the other thing with CE sometimes is we do a lot of planning. We do a lot of work and operationally things change, right? Right. Uh, sure. Very quickly and things that, but our, our mission doesn't always happen quickly. It, it, Things take time to do, you know, large construction projects and things like that. And operational decisions sometimes happen a lot quicker. So uh, it was definitely a really cool thing to do. Um, it was a bummer, but I'm sure somebody still filled that that role and bed down somewhere over there. So. Hopefully, they yeah, they got to use it. Um, I mean, you got you mentioned it, but you also have uh, a lot of responsibility infrastructure wise on just on this side of the base because I, mm -hmm. I know I've heard. Talk about different uh, projects going on around the base. Yeah, so full time wise, we uh, we have a staff of about six military and then about twenty state positions. Um, the CE is the only one in the wing that has a state function as well. So we uh, we operate with state people. We have a state uh, cooperative agreement basically. So everything we purchase when it comes to the state employees has to be also awfully um, cost shared with the state. So the state pays 25%, the federal government pays 75%. So we maintain the base here, um, the base being our portion of the 126, so about right. eight, 18 facilities, Wow, about 130 acres. Um, so we maintain that internally. And then uh, any new projects, like we, you know, we, uh, we touch pretty much anybody here, um, any new projects go through me and, and, and the engineering flight in, within our squadron to program and plan uh, and contract out large-scale projects. We have a, a project we're trying to execute now for a new hangar uh, for, our for our operations and maintenance folks. That's you know upwards of $70 million. So um, it's really cool to be able to... Uh, create it from its infancy to seeing it all the way through. Now, these larger projects, I probably will be retired by the time it goes all the way through, but uh, like a hangar alone is going to take probably 10 years. Really? Go to Congress and ask for the money. Oh. Congress has to plan for it. They give you the money. You have to design it. You Then you, get, then you put it out for bid, and then it constructs, and then... Uh, and then a, a construction is a couple years, right? So uh, case in point, when we had the squadron operations building renovation a few years ago, yeah. I started that as a lieutenant. Oh, really? I, it was completed in ribbon cutting when I just put on major. So that gives you an idea of kind of how long those things take. So uh, it's very cool on the military side to see it all the way through, but it does take time for sure. Hmm, I never, yeah, I, I don't know. I was thinking a couple of years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But then again, you know, you're working on the renovation for our building, building 5000. Mm -hmm. And man, yeah, that is, uh, it's just a lot of moving parts, I guess. A lot of moving parts, a lot of paperwork, right? Unfortunately. And uh, we deal with the, the contracting side of it. And contracting is very legal. And as anybody should know, anything legal just takes time with making sure that we're doing everything according to how the government, you know, in the best interest of the government to not right. overspend or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we've spent the last six months just taking care of 
of the cost, right? And we haven't even gotten into the the, the nitty gritty of uh, design and construction yet. So. And, and you've got a lot of people uh, put making their own, a lot of offices making their own inputs. Yes, and a lot of people, a lot of people have inputs that sometimes come in last minute. So, uh, Sergeant Lang and I joined you in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, for an individual readiness training for two weeks. How does that uh, help your uh, your squadron with readiness? So uh, a deployment for training, and, and we use it with part of the innovative readiness training portion. Um, we usually do those once a year. Um, they're a big uh, retention tool for us. They're a big recruiting tool for us because it's a chance for a lot of our guys to really get hands-on and really go somewhere you know kind of neat that's not just here every, every drill. Um, but from a readiness standpoint, it really helps with our upgrade training and our hands-on stuff. So CE in general, you know, every drill, our heavy equipment guys don't have access to, you know, bulldozers and front end loaders and all the things that they need to do. So when we get these projects that are given to us um, from Guard Bureau, um, it's, we don't get a say in where we go. Um, they tell us where, where it is. And this last time was in Tahlequah. Um, and it's usually a cool mission, right? It's usually something um, not only good for upgrade training and things like that, but it's also a lot of times something that we can give back to a community or things like that. So in this case, it was the, the Cherokee Nation and doing things for veterans out of there and, and rebuilding homes for them and stuff like that. So uh, it was very, it's very fulfilling, I think, from a leadership standpoint, but also just from our, from our airmen standpoint to see that what they're doing is being um, utilized and being, and being appreciated, not just mill to mill, but you know, communities and civilians get to experience that as well. So they all get a, they all get a, a play in it and they all get to go do their jobs, right? Plumbers get to go plumb and right. uh, carpenters get to go build roofs. And in Tahlequah, we built homes from, you know, from ground up. So it was really, it was really a good uh, opportunity to, to do all those things. So. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And it was neat to, uh, you know, work because you also got to work with the people from the Cherokee Nation. You know, you guys weren't just doing it on your own. You had input from uh, folks at the Cherokee Nation. And that's innovative readiness training. Has there been any uh, one uh, um, IRT that has stuck out to you? Uh, well, we've had a, a, quite a few. Like I said, we go on, on one almost every year, depending on our deployment cycle and things like right. that. But uh We've, I think in, back in 2012, we went to Australia, and oh, wow. then in 2015, we went to Israel. Um, both of those are pretty memorable in the fact that definitely somewhere cool to go, right? Yeah. Um, Australia, we did a mission with the Australian Army where we uh, resurrected an old satellite site from like the World War II. It was a submarine base as well. Mm -hmm. And basically, we were going in there and renovating uh, and renovating this, the space for a new use, right? A new use for both the Australian Army and uh, and the um, and the U.S. So it was pretty exciting. It was cool for our guys to definitely go somewhere uh, that most of them had never been before, um, and uh, it turned out to be a really cool trip. The Israel thing, we worked alongside uh, Red Horse, which is another faction of CE, mm -hmm. and they do a lot of heavy equipment stuff. And uh, the Navy Seabees is what they're called. And the Navy Seabees are basically the CE version right. of the Navy. So we worked alongside them and uh, did some really cool things for the Israeli Army as well. And uh, uh, so I think those are probably the most memorable just because they were something different. But every one of them are, are really memorable. And every one of them, 
you sometimes you go into them thinking, well, this is out in the middle of nowhere. We're not going to you know, really enjoy ourselves. But some of those sometimes are the best ones for our guys because they get a chance to really, uh, you know, integrate with each other. And, and especially if we have no Wi-Fi, no cell phone signal or anything <laughs> uh, with the, the kids these days, uh, they kind of are forced to, to, to mingle and uh, get to know each other. So it's, it's definitely rewarding. So you don't do an IRT necessarily every year. Those are uh, the, those are kind of built into your because you were telling that there's some kind of requirement about your to keep your readiness up with mm-hmm. DFTs and uh, IRTs. Yeah, so we have a requirement for what's called a contingency training project, basically uh, a chance to allow all of our our airmen to do their jobs, um, and that's required every year, every year and a half. And what Guard Bureau does is basically created a deployment for training program that they issue out to us and say, okay, they formulate the projects. They'll have maybe eight to ten projects, whether it's in Europe or Hawaii or, you know, Tahlequah or, or like this year for us will be in Montana. Um, and sometimes they can't get enough projects on their own, so they go through what, the, what this program also is called, which is IRT. Mm. IRT is a much bigger project program because they involve medical, cyber, and CE. So uh, I think our medical group did an IRT project a couple of years ago as well. So Yeah, they went to, what was it called, East Central Georgia? Yeah, I think yeah. they were down by Savannah area or yeah. something like that. So, yeah. um, so Guard Bureau just kind of uses IRT sometimes because they have the ability to give them additional locations. So and we've been fortunate to do a couple IRT programs back to back now. And those lately have been serving uh, American, Native American uh, reservations. So last year it was Cherokee Nation. This year we'll be going up to uh, Blackfeet Nation in northern Montana. So should be interesting. It should be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, you guys, I think last year you guys were kind of already planning the trip. And the, the cool thing with uh, all these IRTs that you go, or at least your DFTs, IRTs that you go on, you build in a day for, is that built into everyone, a, uh, a community, what's a, a community day? Yeah, it's a, kind a of like of a, yeah, day of learning. Um, a lot of it's through IRT because they're a much bigger program. Um, when IRT does things, they partner with the, these, these uh, reservations and things like that. So uh, we like those because, like you said, it's, it's a day where we just, one, we're not working, and two, we're just kind of learning what we're doing it for, right? Or who we're doing it for. And uh, last year, we, you know, we went out and learned a lot of Cherokee Nation things, which is really cool. Yeah. And uh, I can't remember the name of the game, but we were. Uh, ta- oh. <laughs> there was a lot of tackling going on, and uh, uh, it was definitely a contact sport for yeah. sure. So I'm just glad nobody got hurt. <laughs> Uh, besides IRT missions, uh, we kind of touched on it already, but I know like last year you, you guys also went to Tahlequah, but you went to Southern Illinois and did some, I don't know what you guys did, uh, some yeah. work down there. Yep. So we, uh, like I said, it's hard for us to do our jobs here on drill weekends just because there's not a lot for us to do, um, in terms of tools and equipment and things like that. So we went down to Sparta, um, Sparta training site, which is an army unit. And we coordinated with them. We had to coordinate with the army, and we uh, and we got uh, Humvees and things like that. We did paintball, and basically, <laughs> it was a chance to meet another requirement we have, which is so as we're augmentees to security forces, is learning how to convoy, learning how to uh, do tactical movements, and uh, and ha- and do all those things. So 
uh, it was a good chance for everybody to get away and shoot at each other. And uh, and uh, one thing we like to do at sea is like, have fun, but we definitely play hard and work hard as well. So yeah, you guys did a lot of. Uh, you guys want to you want to brag about what you guys did in uh, in Tahlequah? I mean, you guys yeah did Tahlequah. A lot. You know, one thing we try to we we kind of pride ourselves on for DFTs in general is is we definitely work hard and we we try to execute the mission as best we can and that's that's ce as a whole i mean most of the time you know with accolades or anything like that we just kind of do our job right it's it's very blue collar it's very you know nose to the grind we're just going to go get it done and uh and in Tahlequah, it was no different you know we i think we had three or four homes that we were almost resurrecting from the from the from the ground up and and there was one or two that I, I know you guys were up there in the rafters and uh and we were literally building the homes you know you know framing them putting the roofs on and when we left there you know 10 12 days later we had almost two full homes built which was which was a feat in itself for sure so yeah it's fun being up in those rafters i, <laughs> I don't know why it's just like hey this is fun yeah. <laughs> um what else about oh how does your so you you know we talked about we talked a little bit about emergency management how do they fit into uh your 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 mission your dfts and things like that so ce as a whole is broken up into a few flights um just like anybody else um so we have our prime b flight which is our expeditionary force which can go out and has the trades in it the electricians the plumbers and things like that but we also have uh, a readiness flight emergency management flight and they're a group of about six to seven folks in our squadron that basically not only prepare the squadron, but they also in charge of wing functions. So they, their job is to prepare and ready the wing from any kind of seaburn type uh, of defense, right? Chemical, radiological, biological, or nuclear. Um, so they, they play a huge role. They're kind of in our in our realm if we had a fire department that also would be in the emergency services portion oh, right okay. um if we also had eod it would be along those lines of you know of uh bombs and things like that so that whole package is usually a, a definitely a big portion of ce um so having the emergency management flight there uh definitely helps with that they you know they they do the uh chem gear training and things like that so uh it's definitely important and it's definitely a big portion especially nowadays uh with the big push for readiness just air force wide uh they definitely have a big role in the wing being prepared what's been a, a memorable moment in your uh military career sir is there any one that sticks out well they're or? all memorable of course but uh <laughs> i would say uh any, anytime you deploy i think it's always a good opportunity to really kind of put what you've learned uh, militarily to the test, right? So the last deployment I had, I was part of that expeditionary civil engineering group, and it was also during COVID, so it made things a little difficult, but uh, we really got a chance to, you know, it was a part of like 500 people in my group, and they were in eight different countries, and they were doing all sorts of different things, rubber removal, they were doing uh, uh, they, were, they were setting up tents and things like that in Afghanistan. We were in Iraq setting, building a runway. Um, so just to be able to kind of, and I was at the higher level to plan all those things. Right. So just to be able to see what we touch and what we can accomplish, and even just a six-month rotation is, is pretty remarkable. Um, so from a mem memorable standpoint, I always felt like that was really a, a, a really interesting way where 
everything everything I've learned and everything we planned then got to come to fruition and uh, and get to see it all in one really quick tight package of six months. Like I said, here stateside, it's eight to ten years sometimes for large projects. Right uh, over there, we do it all ourselves, right? Sometimes, so it's quick. It's quick and dirty, but it gets the job done. It gets the mission done. So, so you were, were you drawing the plans? Just yeah, we were designing plans. We had a couple contractors with us that actually did some of the mechanical and structural things, but we were literally drawing large scale buildings, and our Red Horse teams were building them weeks later. So it was, uh, it was definitely something really cool to see. You know, you said you got 12 AFSCs. One that I thought was interesting, and there's a ton. I mean, they're, they're all pretty interesting, and those guys uh, really do a good job, is um, you have a – it's a engineer's assistant. Is that right? And that's – what do they do? So engineer assistants are kind of our draftsmen. They okay. deal with CAD, GIS, but they also do survey. So in a deployed environment um, – they could go out and do surveying points. So when our heavy equipment guys are trying to, you know, flatten out a certain area, they're out there marking where it needs to go and where a concrete pad needs to be built. So they're kind of crucial in the fact that it's really the the good the big picture. They'll create all the maps that we need to do what we need to do. Um, they'll pull up plans for our, our trades to go in and do what they need to do. So engineer assistants are kind of the belly button for our operations and our officers to kind of relay information to our trades um, and vice versa. So they are very integral. Uh, they have a, a little, it's always been hard for us to fill it because it's got a higher math requirement oh, just okay. because of the CAD and, and the GIS. I think they require a trigonometry, but uh, we uh, definitely uh, utilize them quite a bit and they, they have a huge role and they, and they really get to see it all uh, play out pretty well when they're deployed or, or stateside. So, and, and you know, I, I got to say, go back to, I know I'm talking about Tahlequah a lot, but just on your IRTs, you have that chance when you go out because um, you don't always have, you know, you're not able to do your job. Uh, so you, a lot of the, there's a lot of teamwork going on in CE was what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And that kind of goes into the multi-capable airmen, which is the big push right now from the Air Force side, right? So uh, CE as a whole is all, are, they're kind of naturally multi-capable airmen. Um, our power production people, which is our generators and our aircraft arresting system, they, their three levels, their, their, their apprentices can swap between power pro and electri electrical, which are two different AFSCs. So they naturally, so if there's a, if they're out in the middle of nowhere and electrical needs some additional hands-on to pull some wire, our Power Pro AFSCs can hop in and do that. So um, we also have our, our plumbers, our WIFMs folks that can do fuels, so they can hop in with LRS and do fuels things and things like that and set up, uh, you know, the fuel bladders or anything like that to make sure that the aircraft or any kind of vehicles are set up. So uh, we have... I mean, it's the general nature of CE is is all hands on deck, right? Mm -hmm. all, is is everybody kind of plays a role, and our big thing is just we get it done. And and sometimes that involves pulling a, an emergency management guy that maybe isn't doing anything to come swing a hammer, right, or whatever it is. Sure. Um, so we we pride ourselves on the fact of understanding what the mission is, but uh, being able to execute that mission one way, shape, or form is is how it all usually goes down. 
Why'd you decide to join the Air National Guard? Well, that's a good question. Um, it was probably a multitude of things. I would say part of it was obviously the ability to kind of do something bigger than yourself. It was also probably also a little bit of stability. So I was working as a, a private consulting engineer in Chicago for about eight years. Um, that's where I got my professional engineering license. That's where I kind of was doing my thing. Uh, and things were good from when I graduated in 02 till 08. Oh, yeah. Um, everybody was building everything up there. So uh, from an engineer standpoint, life was good, right? I was uh, making a lot of money. I was learning a lot of stuff. And then 08 to 010 or to 10 hit and uh, nobody was building anything. We had the recession and things like that. So uh, it was kind of out of a necessity a little bit in the fact that I needed something a little more stable. Uh, sure. The company I was with was hemorrhaging people and I just wanted something something more stable and engineers as a whole aren't big risk takers. So we like, to, we <laughs> like stability as a whole. Um, so coming into the guard and, and my dad was in the guard in the actual civil engineer squadron as well. So I knew about it, I was aware of it, and I just kind of was just waiting for the right time. And, and my wife was pregnant at the time with my, my daughter and, uh, and so everything kind of melded together, right? Like I just needed some stability, we needed somewhere that we could maybe move to that was family friendly. Uh, and uh, I just wanted something that, where I could kind of do all the engineering things that I love doing, um, but also be on the, on the people side as well, which is, which is fun. So I did do one thing wrong and I went to all my college before I joined the military and didn't get to enjoy the, the labor, the fruits of the labor in terms of the nice free education that the guard can provide. So. Oh man. Where'd you go to college? Uh, I went to Purdue. Uh, so I got to be there when Drew Brees was there and got to enjoy the, the, the nice time of football when it was there. So it's a, it's a huge engineering school. And actually, you know, funny story is, when I left high school, uh, I didn't really even know what engineering was, even though my dad was in the civil engineering really? squadron. I kind of really didn't put two and two together. And uh, my you know, high school aide was telling me, you're really good at math and science. You should look at engineering. And I was like, well, what's that? You know, and and uh, I just kind of applied to all the schools around Chicagoland area and Purdue was one of them. And uh, it's kind of led me to where I'm at today. And uh, I actually got my uh, master's in business at DePaul when I was up there because I was going to do uh, real estate management and uh, start doing land development and things like that. So, so uh, yeah, it's it's been a it's been a it's been a whirlwind ride. Uh, hindsight, I'm sure a lot of people sit here probably have a lot of hindsight. Hindsight, I probably would have just gotten into the guard right after college and I'd be at that 20 year mark and. And I'd be there, but you know, a lot of things have led me to where I am today. And I like to think that the having a little bit of the um, civilian side and bringing that to the government side is helpful because it it's just a different way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the government has its rigidity, rigidity, but uh, I can kind of like play within the lines a little bit, and it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> so your dad was in. Uh, let me uh, let me see. Uh, yeah. Your dad was in the 126th, right? Did he make the move down here? Yes, he did. So he was 15 years active duty, and that's kind of how I grew up. Um, and then when my junior year of high school in 96, he 
moved to become an AGR with the 126C squadron up in Chicago. Right. So uh, for a couple of years, we lived up there. They moved down, and then I went to college. So he did move with the unit. And actually, he was... Uh, I still get people that say, oh, you're, you're Rocky's kid, right? And uh, because he and C as a whole was very integral in basically building this entire base, right? So, uh, and I like to think that, you know, now if we get a new airframe or we get new hangars or whatever, that I'm kind of integral in the revitalization of this now 20 plus year campus. So there's always going to be a voice at the helm somewhere, at least for, no. for a little bit. You ever point out to your dad, like, I wouldn't have done it that way. <laughs> All the time. All the time. <laughs> um, I mean, this kind of, uh, I, I probably pretty much answers the question, but why did you choose, uh, what was it about the 126 that you chose? That uh, kind using? of the same thing, right? So I obviously had an inside uh, view of the 126. And uh, when I was up in Chicago, I'd get, you know, calls every once in a while like, hey, there's a civil engineering opening if you just want to become a traditional or whatever. And uh, like I said, at the time, I was like, eh, I'm going to focus on what I'm doing here. But uh, uh, the 126, I, you know, I'm super happy and proud that I'm part of it. Um, it's, it's given to me and my family opportunities that I probably would never have had before, even in the civilian sector. So uh, I'm very happy that I joined and uh, I really enjoy the people that we have here and the people in my squadron, and uh, in, in, as military as a whole, the, the people are you know, kind of what makes the job. So it's, it's been enjoyable for sure. Did you join uh, the 126 and the Guard because they had full-time opportunities? Is that what you were looking for? Or? Yeah, so I, I definitely, for me, I joined for straight to full-time. So there was okay. a full-time position that was, uh, that was opening up called the Deputy Base Civil Engineer position. And uh, that position was open. I applied for it, and I came in as what's called a non-prior. So I basically came in straight off the street, uh, went to officer training school, you know, got all militaried up, and uh, and then came right in. So uh, to fill that full-time position, but then also filled a, a, an officer position in the military as well. So I started out as a technician, um, Title 32, doing those things, and then I switched to AGR a couple of years later. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a whirlwind. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty excited that I've made it this far and uh, looking forward to keep going on it. So, What'd you study at Purdue? Civil engineering. Oh, so, that's great. Yeah, it wasn't much of a stretch <laughs> for me to go. So I did uh, civil engineering with uh, environmental and uh, hydraulics as a, ba as a background to it. So it was, uh, it was pretty interesting. Um, but like I said, the... The work I did in the civilian side, which was site development, right? Like, so we'd take a, we'd get a thousand acre farmland and we'd have to turn it into subdivision, right? Right. Or we'd get uh, something and we have to make a road or a Costco or something out of it. Um, and military is not that much of a stretch. You know, we get a plot of land out in the middle of nowhere and we have to make a base out of it, right? So <clears throat> for me, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't much of a stretch to go from what I did in the civilian career to what I do now. And, and I think for us as a whole, as a squadron, it's kind of this, the same way the other way, right? So when we tell a lot of our, or try to get our recruits coming in, our career fields are very relatable to civilian career fields, right? Our electrical systems, AFSC can go right into a union electrician job or a lineman or an Ameren position. Our power pros, our generator 
tech. So they can go work for Caterpillar. They can go work for uh, power plants. Our, our WIFMS folks, uh, water fuel systems, they can do plumbing. They can do um, fuel systems and things like that. So you can go work on an airport. You can go work for a civilian plumber. Um, you know, emergency management works hand in hand with ATF and FBI. So they have a lot of things where they deal with, you know, finding radiological things like that. And so uh, structures or carpenters, you know, our heavy equipment guys or heavy equipment operators, they go work for IDOT a lot. Wow. Department of Transportation. So we have, you know, well, and so a lot of other career fields are the same way, but we have very relatable trades, careers that you can come out of this and go right into something else if you didn't want to stay in. And sometimes what we do here gives them certifications that they don't have to get on the civilian side that maybe gives them a little leg up you know, and on the, on the next step phase of their career, if they don't want to stay 20 years. And you guys have, you, you have guys that do that. I mean, I think about Sergeant nicely and you know, the work yeah. that he does. He- yeah. So Sergeant nicely in our squadron is a, uh, a structural craftsman, uh, which is one of our AFSCs. And then on the outside, he yeah does renovating renovation work. So having him come to Tahlequah and build houses was not a far stretch for what he could do. Right. So, we also have a couple, we have a plumber that owns a plumbing company on the outside, but we also have like our training manager uh, is a pilot for for United. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it, we kind of have a full gamut. One of our emergency managers are is a lawyer for the state of Illinois. So uh, they're all enlisted mostly. I mean, we have almost 70 people. And we only have four officers. So we're a very enlisted heavy uh, squadron and just a, a squadron of doers really, you know, some of the officers can plan, but you know we let the we let the tradespeople do what they do best. So, and you got a lot of those positions are are open. You're yeah. So we have uh, vacancies in almost all of our AFSCs. Um, one thing that we're noticing right now is trades are just not getting pushed very hard. I mean, as a whole in the U.S., uh, I know trades are are hurting pretty bad. So um, we're feeling the hit just like anybody else is. Um, I, like I said before, our big push is that you get hands-on, you get you get to get out and you're not behind a desk all the time. Um, you get to go see some cool things and do some cool cool uh, uh, operations and missions with not just us, but Navy, reserves, other countries and things like that. Not just in a deployed environment, but you know when we go do our, our training for two weeks where it's a little more relaxed and you can enjoy yourself. So, uh, yeah, we have vacancies in pretty much every AFSC, and every AFSC is relatable to any kind of other job you, you can get out of it. So it's not like you're going to come here and do a civil engineering AFSC job and be like, oh, I don't know what I can do after this. Right. It's pretty translatable to, hey, you can take this and go do X, Y, and Z. So it's uh, I, th- I feel like we're positioned really well. It's just getting those those vocational schools and people just to come out and really see what we do. Sometimes we can't compete with, you know, the pretty shiny planes and, <laughs> and, and the guns of the security forces and stuff like that. All right. Anything else to add, sir? Um, no, not really. Like I, I talked about, um, we have a lot of vacancies. So if anybody's listening, please reach out to our recruiting office um, because we're definitely willing to fill pretty much anything um, I also want to say thank you to you guys and, and you uh, in particular just to kind of help shine the light on all these squadrons and what we do. Um, not everybody kind of 
knows what we do. And so having these little spotlights, I think definitely helps at least answer a few questions that people may have. So I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, sir. That's 126 Civil Engineer Squadron Commander, Major Matt Boyce again. Sir, thanks for joining me. Secretary of the Air Force Frank Kendall released a video statement to the force about sexual assault and sexual harassment. The secretary emphasizes the importance of the principle, one team, one fight, and highlights the need for a cohesive team built on mutual respect and positive culture. Sexual assault and sexual harassment will not be eradicated through a sharply worded memo or even this video message. We will only make meaningful progress when all leaders own our role in establishing positive culture, offering compassionate response and setting the standard for others to follow. Kendall stresses the need for leaders to recognize the seriousness of the problem and to take responsibility for shaping a positive culture that does not tolerate such behavior. First-term airmen will have the chance to retrain into a new career field starting June 1st if they meet the requirements for that specialty code and it's under 90% manned. They can retrain even if their current career field is below 90% manning. It's a change that allows first-termers additional opportunities to stay in uniform instead of separating. To qualify, they have to be within their retaining window, meet medical and physical fitness standards, and have the right ASVAB score for the field they want to train into. Airmen assigned to medical treatment facilities, including those not normally involved with hands-on patient care, will be certified in 52 base-level patient care skills that are not part of normal medical group training. It's part of Medic-X, the Air Force Surgeon General's initiative to ensure all medical personnel have life-sustaining skills that may be needed in a challenging deployed environment. Medic-X will train all Air Force medics, including those in administrative or laboratory technician roles, in basic skills like infection control and taking vital signs. It's expected to be rolled out across the Air Force by July 1st. That's your look around the Air Force. I'm Staff Sergeant Khadija Slaughter. The Illinois Governor's Challenge aims at preventing suicide among service members, veterans, and their families. There is a website that they have uh, set up with information that you can use to prevent suicide, including reducing access to lethal means and a training portal on how to help and talk to people who may be in crisis. I'll put a link into the description. If you are having thoughts of suicide or know someone in crisis, you can call the Military Crisis Line. That's 988 that's 988-PRESS-THE-NUMBER-1. You can find all of our links on Linktree. That's linktr.ee 126ARW. That's linktr.ee forward slash 126ARW. If you're watching on YouTube, you can also download this on your favorite podcast app. Uh, go to our Facebook page and our Instagram. I put up a, a really cool video of a nighttime refuel. If you want to pass along some information, you got something going on in your squadron, you got something going on in your flight, you got something going on that you, you want to send out and, and pass along to the rest of the wing, by all means, email roll call at 126rollcall at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast focused on people, mission, and community. I'm Master Sergeant Brian Ellison. 500 stable.
10th.